Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. Many people pray, even in the will of God and even with faith, but I think they still miss God's blessing because they do not persist in prayer. So this very idea of travailing in prayer holds this idea. If you look it up, you're not going to probably see it in your Bible, but they'll use other words like toil, labor, or anguish, or labor pains when they're talking about praying for someone else. So, you know, I think a lot of times when we pray, we think, I'm going to pray, I'm going to leave it before God and leave the ball in his court and let him just, if he wants to move, I'm going to let him take care of it and I'm going to let him move. But I'm not, I don't need to persist in prayer. Why would I need to do that? Why do I need to keep praying for something when God already knows what I'm going to pray before I pray and he's heard my request, why do I need to keep bothering him with it, right? We can read passages like this, Matthew 6, 7, which says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So sometimes I think in our prayer life we think, see, there you go. I don't need to keep asking him for this. He's heard me. He's got it. He's a big God. If he's going to move, he's going to move, right? I think, so you look at this, you realize, I think there's something missing in this. See, in the Matthew passage, they were thinking their words could move the heart of God like they could control God through their many prayers. If I say these prayers, I'm going to get this result. The heart of one travailing or anguishing in their prayers or crying out to God, care nothing about impressing God. They're just coming from a heart of deep anguish and pain. And they're saying, God, I just beg of you, please move in my life. Please move in my family. So let's look at some characteristics of travailing prayer. So first of all, it's persistent. It's a labor. It's a toil in prayer. Luke 18.1 says this. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. There was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because of this woman's keeps bothering me, I'll give her justice so she will not beat me down by her continually coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. So he's saying, he's talking about these people to not lose heart in their prayers. And then he also talks about here of crying out to God day and night. This imagery of what Jesus is encouraging us to do is one of continually praying, crying out day and night for God to move on our hearts and our lives. 
This very idea of prayer holds the idea of one raging war in the spirit realm, toiling, laboring for situations to change. So here's more of the idea of anguish and labor pains that we see in prayer. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane did this. In Luke 22, 44 says this, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Paul in Galatians 4.19 says, My children of whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. The Holy Spirit in Romans 8.26 and says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Can you just even get a picture of that? The Holy Spirit is crying out for us with groaning. He's not even using words. He's groaning. It's not really a pretty picture. I heard someone, I'm not sure completely how true it is, but I heard someone came in here on a Wednesday when we had prayer, and someone said, who's groaning over there? Who's making that noise, that awful noise? And they're like, oh, it's Pastor Walt over in their front praying. <laughs> so I think he understands a little something about interceding and groaning. But the Holy Spirit, why would he be doing that? Why does the Holy Spirit groan with words too deep? I think it shows the great anguish and pain. And a lot of times we don't really grasp the full implications of the spiritual, like of hell, of the lostness of people, of our own apathy. We don't understand that. If we truly got a glimpse of hell, we'd be beside ourselves. We wouldn't be able to control ourselves when we're thinking of the lost people that are around us. God, in a way, in his grace, we, we can't fully grasp that because it's just too much. But the Holy Spirit understands that. And that's why he groans and he desires and he yearns for us to be people of God. So here's a question. Why should we pray like that? It doesn't sound like a very pretty prayer, right? Why would we want to pray and groan and cry out to God like this? What's going on in, in people that are doing that? Well, what's happening in their hearts to make them actually pray like that? Okay? So number three, travailing, this kind of prayer carries another's burdens. Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Hebrews 13.3 says, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body. So this very idea of travailing in prayer takes you where you're at, and you put yourself in their shoes, and you pray for them as they should. Think about your, your lost son or your lost friend. Put yourself in that place where you're saying, you know what? If I was there, I'm realizing I'm on my way to hell. And I'm okay with, you know, that person's okay with it. And saying, no, I'm not. I'm crying out, God, show mercy on their soul. Pray for them as if you were the one going to hell on their behalf. It's really what the idea is. 
and travailing prayer. I want to give you guys a couple godly examples of people that persisted or travailed in prayer. These are the kind of people that changed America. All right? So persistence in prayer. I'm going to share with you a guy by the name of McGreedy. Okay? He was a significant figure, the one that kind of helped start the second great revival in America. So this guy, McGrady, said, said, you know what? I believe that if I pray, that if we pray and we truly intercede for God, that God will send revival here to America. So what he did was he picked the most wicked place in America, this place in Kentucky, Logan County in Kentucky. And it was known as being like an outlaw haven. I mean, there would be some people that say, we're going to come in there, vigilantes, and we're going to drive these bad people out. And those bad people would keep driving those people that were wanting to make change out. So he says, you know what? We're going to change this. God's going to send revival here, and we're going to pray and make this happen. So he had all these people enter a covenant with him. Hundreds of people enter a covenant, fasting, praying, spending time, interceding that God would move. He said, I want you to sign this covenant, and you pray for revival until either it comes or you die. That's <laughs> basically what happened. And so he believed so much that God was going to move that he ended up moving to this place and starting a couple small churches. And this is what he said. He says, we bind ourselves to observe the third Saturday of each month for one year, a day of fasting and prayer for the conversion of sinners in Logan County and throughout the world. We also engage to spend one half of each Saturday evening, beginning at the setting sun, and one half an hour Sabbath morning at the rising of the sun, and pleading with God to revive his work. And you know they say the second great awakening happened right there in Logan County, just as he prayed it would. And when it did start, this is what happened. When revival broke out, they had a meeting, and on the last day of the meeting, a man named William McGee felt God speak through him and say, Let the Lord God omnipotent reign in your hearts. Some of the lost began to scream, and others fell on the floor, and sometimes writhing. Some were perfectly still, having been slain in the spirit. Some told McGreedy to stop it because it was strange. He refused and shouted praises and encouraged the people to yield themselves to God. Many were changed forever that night. In the words of McGreedy, a mighty infusion of God's spirit came upon the people, and the floor was soon covered with those slain, and their screams for mercy piercing the heavens. They said the characteristic of this revival was that the presence of God was so powerfully felt. You know, one thing that when we read these stories, we think, man, they're kind of a little, little crazy, a little out there, like people screaming to God, people falling on the ground, like what, what is happening here? You know, sometimes, and I've studied this, like look through this, when we think in the Bible, when God shows up, things happen. You know, like I was just reading even today of Daniel, who received this great vision from God, to such an extent that he was sick for days. Like, we as humans are not able to handle when God shows up in our lives. Things happen, and it just, it, it's not pretty. 
It's not always pretty. And I think of that a lot of times, like even, even in Revelation, John, he saw the Lord and he fell down on the ground like a dead man. He was overcome by the presence of God in such a powerful way. This is what it says. The presence of God was so strong that many at the camp meetings, that people, including total unbelievers, would often collapse on the ground under the power of God. Even unbelievers would fall down. And when we look at this, we realize that the power of God, when he comes upon us, things happen, things change. And sometimes we as ourselves, we can't, we can't fully grasp that. And when I think of travailing prayer, I think a lot of times the spirit of God comes upon us. And it is also not pretty. When I think of the Holy Spirit groaning with words, with groaning too deep for words, it doesn't sound like something beautiful and enjoyable. It really doesn't. When I see people, like we think of, of Hannah praying and Eli thinking she's drunk. What's going on? She's really grasping and travailing and, and crying out to God. She doesn't look normal. She doesn't look right. And what happens is this. I really think that what happened in these revivals is God gave these people just a glimpse of their sin and where they were headed. And so they started screaming out to God saying, God, show mercy on me, a sinner, on my way to hell. And God gave them that glimpse, and it changed their life in a powerful way. And I think that can be paralleled in a lot of ways to what happened when you travail in prayer. You look at him and say, man, that's weird. I don't want to be there crying out to God, just pouring my heart out to God. That just sounds odd and weird. But this is the impact of the second great revival. One man said, Kentucky wrote one person, one visitor was the most moral place that he had ever been. God had so impacted the lives of the people there. He gave them a glimpse of their eternal destiny. They cried out to God, and God moved in a powerful and mighty way. Charles Finney, a lot of you probably have heard about him in revivals. This is what he said. I've never known a person sweat blood, but I've known a person pray till blood started from his nose. And I have known persons pray till they're all wet with perspiration. In the coldest weather in winter, I've known persons pray for hours till their strength was all exhausted with agony of their mind. Such prayers prevailed with God. Their agony and prayer was prevalent in Jonathan Edwards' day, in the revivals which took place. One of the people that I have really grown fond of is a man by the name of Daniel Nash. So this man, Daniel Nash, would pray for during Finney's revivals. And what happened, how it all started for him was one day he had a problem with his eyes and he couldn't see for, I think it was weeks. And he says he spent the entire time in prayer to God. And God used him as a powerful catalyst for bringing great revival. This is what happened. This is the way, a picture of the way that he prayed for God's spirit to move. Finney said, on one occasion when I got to town to start a, a revival, a lady contacted me who ran a boarding house. She said, Brother, Brother Finney, do you know a Father Nash? 
He and two other men have been at my boarding house for the last three days, but they haven't eaten a bite of food. I opened the door and peeped in at them because I could hear them moaning, and I saw them on their faces. They have been this way for three days, laying prostrate on the floor and moaning. I thought something awful must have happened to them. I was afraid to go in, and I didn't know what to do. Will you please come see about them? No, it's not necessary, Finney replied. They just have a spirit of travail in prayer. A man like this had a huge impact. They say 80% of Finney's converts remained in the faith. And they say that today, you're lucky if you have 20% last a couple years. So we see a man who truly interceded and cried out to God. And we see that he was used in powerful ways. He'd go before Finney like a couple days before and just pray and God's spirit would move and bring tremendous breakthrough. So I want to switch gears here and I want to talk about how do we pray? So we pray according to the will of God, we pray in faith, and then we persist in prayer till we see God bring the breakthrough, right? So now let's turn around and let's apply this in the area of healing today. And so... How do we pray effectively for healing? First of all, it's important to understand why people are sick. First of all, we live in a fallen world. And sometimes people are sick just because of the world we live in. We see Jesus applying this when he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? that he would be born blind. And Jesus answered, it was neither this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so the works of God might be displayed in him. So we see that sickness sometimes is just a result of being in a fallen world. However, some sickness is is a direct result of sin in our life. For instance, even in the medical world, they realize this. Forgiveness can lower your risk of heart attack, improve cholesterol levels, sleep, reduce pain, blood pressure, and levels of anxiety, depression, and stress. Just forgiveness alone can have that kind of healing effect in our bodies and our life. We know that Paul stresses in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight through 30 that some people are still sick because they have taken the Lord's communion and they hadn't checked their heart first. And there was sin in their life. So maybe in the area of healing, we realize that some people, if you're praying for someone to be healed, that there could be sin in their life. In the end, we know that not all people are healed. But let's go ahead and look. It's important to realize um, that there can be different reasons why people are sick. But the question is, is God still healing today? Is God healing like he did in the book of Acts? Should we expect him to heal like that or should we just expect him to heal through doctors? It's a really important question. Did you know there are literally hundreds of millions of reported healings being done around the world today? J.P. Moreland writes, a major factor in current revival in the third world, by some estimates, up to 70% of it is intimately connected to signs and wonders as expressions of the love of God, of the Christian Father God. This guy that I read, Craig Keener, says, some estimate 90% of growth of the church in China is being fueled by healings. Keener says, 80% of Brazilian Pentecostals say they have experience of divine healing. 
In Argentina, uh, excuse me, in Argentina, healing is by far the primary tool of evangelism and church growth. You see this. Come forward. You need prayer. We'll pray for you. You get healed, and people are like, whoa, 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 how'd that happen? What happened? God just healed and touched your life. And that's how people are being saved. A lot of times, I think we, we miss it. We try to convince people in the kingdom of heaven when really they just need to experience and see God move in a powerful way. And if God is moving like that around the world, I want to see him move like that at Christ's community too. Seeing people touched and healed, and people are being healed here. And so we, we have the example of a Pastor Walt's liver getting healed. Just had multiple people being healed even here in the church. And one quick testimony, I had a girl in my discipleship home that she was friends with a boy that was crippled from birth. And they went to a revival, and he went forward to receive healing. And, and he couldn't, he walked like this, I guess. Like a, his leg was not straight from birth. And she went forward, she says, I want to see what God's going to do. And so as she went forward, she looked, they prayed for him, and his foot straightened right out. And he walked perfectly normal after that. And she says now he's, he's often at serving at seminary or Bible school. And so God does tremendous miracles even today. I'm, I've read, there's just so many stories of the miraculous happening. So how do we pray for the sick? Let's look at this. James 5, 13 through 18 says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. If, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let him pray for him. Anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So we see very simply that call the elders. Elders in our context are basically the pastors. Call them forward. Have them pray for them in faith and anoint with oil. There's nothing powerful per se about the, the oil itself. It's just a representation of the power of the Holy Spirit. You just put that on somebody's forehead. You pray for them in faith. And it says that they will be saved. Now, the saving is a reference to maybe saving them in, in a healing way. Or is it maybe a talking about a spiritual healing? It could, be, it could be a combination of both in this passage. But the bottom line is we pray and we minister and we pray in faith and we trust that God is going to move. So I want to talk with you about this in the few minutes that I have left. How do you pray for someone who is sick? Here's some practicals. First of all, we need to pray for not only physical healings but for their spiritual heart as well. It's very much so. God, when he moves, he doesn't want to just touch their physical bodies. He wants to touch their heart and minister to them. There's sometimes you pray for somebody and God ministers to them spiritually, but they're not physically healed. And so a lot of times we miss it when we just pray, oh, I have a problem with this or this. And we just pray for their physical ailments. We need to pray that God is going to move, move in their life in a powerful way. 
We're not guaranteed that we'll all be physically healed. But we do know that in Ephesians 1.3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So what he's saying here is that in the spiritual realm, we can have every blessing here and now. Some of us will be healed here and now, but some of us still wait our physical healing in heaven. So when we minister to their heart as well as to their physical body. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.